0: Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. My name is Julian Guderley, and I'm here today with Bonnie Davison. Bonnie is the founder of the Victoria Nature School. Um, She's a teacher and a music therapist. Welcome to the show, Bonnie.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. I remember we spent some really great quality time uh, last summer going up to Hollyhock in the Pacific Northwest on Cortez Island and it was just fascinating for me to hear you speak about education about nature schools about music and just the whole the whole realm of outdoor adventuring
1: yeah that was a really special time actually a real gift to be able to be in a car and uh, have deep conversations without major distractions
0: yeah car rides are sometimes a great place to, to do exactly that. Um, often, I, actually, I listen to podcasts or audiobooks when I drive, and when there's people around me, you're, you're in this zone for a couple hours, right? And you can just let it flow. So, Bonnie, wh- why don't we start um, in kind of in, in what you're creating? I, I really love um, the whole concept of nature schools, and I know this is something that's happening across the planet more and more and more, and you actually founded a nature school a couple years ago.
1: I did. We're going on our seventh year now, and it was just a really, in hindsight, um, I, basically, I didn't think I'd be, um, when I you know, graduated from high school or university, I didn't think, oh, I'm going to start a school. Um, but it all happened as it should, I guess. And so seven years ago, I'd had a uh, three-year-old daughter trying to put uh, find a, a preschool that fit Fit her fit our family values and there were lots of great preschools around but none of them really spent a lot of time outside and you know, I'm from the Maritimes so the East Coast of Canada where we get a lot of snow we were always kicked outside uh, no matter what the temperature and in Victoria where we live now it doesn't get below zero so I couldn't believe it when part of the school programs were not you know being outside just wasn't part of that And um, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be one of those parents who's a teacher who just complains about things, or I'm going to have to do something about it. So I decided to start my own school. And it just all flowed incredibly well in that uh, I started researching, well, is there such a thing as a school in the forest, just an outside school? And um, there was one in Ottawa, actually, outside of Ottawa. And then I started researching it more, and the whole forest school movement has been happening in Europe for over fifty years, so it it was a thing. It wasn't just uh, something I had thought of by any means. And at the time, there was Forest School Canada has was just getting started, and I um, attended their first forest school practitioners training. And so I spent five days in the forest and then it was a nine month long course. And I was taking that as I was starting my own forest school. So I found other parents who were interested. I found a location, which living in a city is the hardest challenge. But I started the idea in January. And by September, we had a school up and running where the children were outside the whole time there at school. Our classroom was outside. There was no inside. And it just i ended up attracting the most amazing instructors and the most amazing families who were on board and supportive and here we are 7 years later. and so now i i am really fortunate to train other educators and um, talk to other parents about how to make this happen in their own communities.
0: Yeah, that's the, that's the exciting part. You are now basically consulting people on how to bring more nature into schools and how to maybe even overcome this hurdle of how how difficult it is to get p- kids into nature. I love that part in your story. You're from the Maritimes on the East Coast in Canada. And no matter how cold it is, there's no excuse. There is no reason not to go outside, right?
1: No, there really isn't. And now we have the research that is just popping up all the time on how beneficial being outside is, no matter what the temperature and, and how, how beneficial it is. And we can go into that because it is extremely beneficial. But you're, you mentioned the hurdles. And there are there, there can be lots of hurdles in schools. You know, we have lots of daycares and preschools that already are taking their kids out on a daily basis, which is amazing. And then we have some kindergartens who may not be able to completely be a forced school program, but want and know it should be part more part of their program. So how, how do we make that happen? And then there's the older grades too, grade one, all the way up to grade six. And then of course we've got you know high school programs that are doing more outdoor programs. But for the younger years has been my focus. And how do we get just a typical teacher who is used to teaching every day inside? How do we get them comfortable taking the students outside? So some of the hurdles might be you know, is is there even a, a nature space that they can use? So in my workshops, I help them figure that out. What does your own playground have to offer? You know, what? How can we help kids connect to nature just in your own schoolyard? Do you have a park nearby? And some parks are really groomed and don't have a lot of wild space, but you know, that's better than nothing. Some have beaches nearby, some actually have forests nearby. So how do we connect with what we have. And then there's the logistics of schedule. In, in, a, in a typical school, you know, they've got to get back for PE. They've got to get back for music class. They've got, you know, they've got this schedule to work on. And, and when you go outside, by the time you get get kids dressed and get them to the location, you've got that time factor as well. So you have to, you know, work with your whole school team. If we're going to make this a priority, how can we make this happen? And, you know, the biggest hurdle is, is clothing. You know, the, the teachers need to be really dressed warm and the children and they need to be dressed so that they can get muddy so that they can explore. And, you know, your school has they're to be not more, afraid to
0: explore, right? They're not <laughs> afraid to
1: explore. And so then, you know, they're coming back to the school and they're filthy. Well, that's no fun for anyone who's cleaning the hallways or the classrooms. So there there are a few hurdles, but there's been no hurdles that we haven't been able to find solutions for for those who really want to make this a part of their their goal.
0: Yeah, I find it very curious because, as you said, there's lots and lots of research how nature time actually is is beneficial for us. But then also, to me, personally, it seems like it's just the most logical thing. Nature is a primary teacher. We we grow up on this green planet, blue planet, right? And if we are not learning to value it, it's going to be very hard to take care of it.
1: Yes, and I think I took it for granted, and I compliment my my mother in her parenting, and at the time, it wasn't conscious parenting that she was doing by kicking us out of the house, by making us walk home from school through the fields, um, you know, we, but what it, when, in hindsight, looking back, we had hours and hours of this open-ended free time, and, you know, my mother didn't say, go out and connect with nature. She just said, you're not, you're not coming inside right now. I want you out of the house. But it was, it was such a gift that she gave us because we would be even in the ditches with the streams and the, um, the small little forest that we had by our house. And, and we had that space to create and we did, no one was telling us now we're playing this game. Now we're playing that game. Nowadays, lots of kids are outside, but they're going to soccer practice and, and they're going, you know, they're going to, activities where the adults are planning the activities even if it's an outdoor camp often the whole time is activity after activity after activity which is great not putting that down at all but we also need to balance that with this open-ended free time this time to breathe this time for children to be bored for them to really have this opportunity to connect with nature in a way that is meaningful to them. So, how does one do that? You know, when you're when you've got twenty to thirty kids outside, it's it that can be that can be challenging as well, but also important.
0: So, how and, did that start in in your first year? So, the Victoria Nature School is exclusively outside, is what you said, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, we first started off with three to five year olds, and we had half day programs where they were fully outside. We had a full day program where we where we would end up at a local rec center because, you know, it's not boot camp. We want the children to feel comfortable and warm and cozy. So we did have a rec center that we go to, for nap time if it was needed, um, and an uh, in, in indoor space if we needed to. So, you know, it's not idealistic for a full day outdoor program for small children unless you have a shelter, unless you have a, you know, a yurt or a place for them to come into. You don't want them to end up hating being in nature because they've been soaking wet and cold all day. So it it is finding that balance. And then it was um, the four school philosophy that four school Canada promotes. Um, we're a big fan of at the Victorian nature school. And the, the two main ideas with that is that it's child led. So that's a very, you know, catchy phrase right now in education. Oh, it's child led, it's child directed. But what that really means is that, the educators are giving children the time to explore, the the time and the space. So you have the space is important, the space to connect with the land. An open field is really often not enough. You know they need things that they can climb and dig, and you know some wa- a stream, a water, some some type of water would be ideal. But how can they? Um, how can those educators provide them with that that? space but also the time so without scheduled without okay here's your mud kitchen and here's your this without anything that's prescribed as, as you know this is what the function of this toy is so you have you might have piles of rocks and piles of logs and trees and dirt and and sticks and you know all these loose parts and then you're just giving them the time to explore and connect so what we found at the Victoria Nature School is that some children would actually go off by themselves and sit by a tree and start digging or lie down and look up. Others would want to be social and would create a game of some sort. Others would start climbing a tree and be adventurous with their physical self. And so we found that the children's interest was just popping up naturally because we gave them the time and the space for that to happen. So child-led needs that time and space. And then the second part of the forest school philosophy um, is that you're returning to the same location, the same piece of nature, so that it really provides them with that consistency of connecting to the land. So you have lots of programs that are all about hiking and going to visit different parts of nature, and that's great. But when you get to spend consistent time in one space, you see it through different seasons. You see it um, in a different light every day, or you get to know it and have a deep relationship with it. And that's when that nature connection is really magical. So we go back to the same area. Now, we still have areas that we go visit regularly, we have a pond area, we have a beach area, we have a climbing area um, that the kids might hike 10 minutes to, but our main location is is their home base. And my own children who went through that, they still consider that part of the forest theirs. They know it. They know when the salmon berries come out. They know where Mr. Squirrel likes to hide. They know <laughs> where to look for the rabbits. And you know when their grandparents come into town, they want to take them to their forest and and show them all the special things about it. So those are the two main philosophies that we adhere to. And um, it's been really consistent for us um, and has helped with the success of our program.
0: Powerful. I really appreciate you talking about time and space. I think the same goes for adults. And often when we talk about education and children, we can very much kind of just reflect it back into our adult uh, environments. So a lot of the events... Um, especially in the the tech communities and in the quote-unquote conscious communities, they're absolutely overscheduled because everyone wants to have this certainty in their mind of what's the value I'm getting from that. And I feel personally, this is part of of, uh, my very personal calling and the events and retreats I host. It's a lot of it is about helping people to understand, to commit to open space, to open time. Because once you do that, the topics, the growth that you need to make and the topics that are in your head and in your heart, they will come up naturally. And when we connect with the land, when we connect people with the land, that's one of the fundamental um, principles that, that I work with as well when, when I host retreats and gatherings. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that kind of reflected as in the philosophy of the Victoria Nature School and nature schools. I'm yeah, I'm yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead i'm just very curious to hear more about connecting people to the land and we t- we talked about this multiple times before kind of the the gifts of the native and indigenous communities especially in canada
1: well it's interesting you know i I've, I've been attending lots of pro- professional development opportunities for years with nature as the topic and often the you know, the host, the speaker will will get the audience to say, you know, think about the first time you have played. When What is your first memory of, of when you have played? So if you think about that for a second, if you can think about when's the first time you can remember playing as a child? Can you think of one?
0: Yeah, I can think of one.
1: Okay, can, can, do you mind just describing it?
0: Oh, absolutely. So first I thought I'm going to go into one of those memories that were my favorite ones when I was like five, six, seven. But then I realized before I moved to the place I lived at at the age of four and older, I actually already have memories of playing. And it was with my neighbor, who was kind of my best friend at the time, in the backyard. It was a very large backyard, especially for a three-year-old. And my sister and riding a bicycle and falling and trying again, just this resilience of of this clarity of play when you're a child, it's it's like learning to walk. There's no child on earth that gives up learning to walk. You fall down a thousand times and it's just so clear to you that this is what you're going to do because everyone else around you is doing that. So for me, it was in this backyard that actually turned into an open field um, in the area of Munich in Germany, Um, hopping on a little bike and believing that my sister uh, was holding and guiding the bike at the back so I Ah. wouldn't fall off. And then at some point I turned around and she wasn't there anymore and I was still riding.
1: Do you remember seeing an adult around in in that memory?
0: No. I mean, my sister was kind of like an adult for me. I was three and she was seven. So
1: she
0: she was a big person, right?
1: Yeah. So there's two (laughs) things. There's two things about that memory. Your memory is of you outside and, you know, you with a sibling and no adult supervising, no adults hovering, right? And so in the past, maybe the past 10 years, uh, this, this exercise I, I've been um, involved with lots of times and a lot of the audience, probably 90 to 95% um, 10 years ago would raise their hand and say, you know, yes, that memory is outside. Yes, that memory has no adults around. But what I'm finding now in the workshops that I do, and a lot of it is with young new teachers, that is not, that's not the case. So the generation that's coming up and now teaching our children, they don't necessarily have that experience of freedom, that freedom to learn without being supervised, that freedom to learn outside. So the, it's, it's changing. And this is why the work that um, for school educators and being outside and and all all that is so important because even now our educators are um haven't had that experience or they either either haven't had that experience or have forgotten and they need to reconnect so a lot of the work i do is helping educators and parents remember the value of connecting start just for starters and then remembering or finding new ways that they themselves can connect because we're, you know, we're, we think it's so important for our children to connect, but we can't forget that the adults educating our children need the support and how, how is that going to happen? Well, a lot of the times our educators, we need to remember, well, what is it that for me, how do I connect with nature? So I'm really loving exploring, helping educators and parents find ways for themselves to connect with nature first and then it's much easier for them to help the children that they're working with connect because they value it themselves first. It's like having a um, valuing music. You know, I I think teaching music is extremely important. Um, But if you don't have experience knowing music, I'm not going to just go ask you to be the music teacher. Right, I have to give you some skills. I'd have to give you some foundations, so you know we're asking educators to take the kids outside when, if they don't have that connection themselves and that deep understanding of the value of it, it's not going to be meaningful for the for the children.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So I don't know if that answers your direct question. I think I went off on a tangent there.
0: A great tangent, though, I think I can just repeat <laughs> the question. I think from this place of um making sure parents and adults remember themselves in nature and also regularly connect. I wanted to just go right into the the details and the, the, in my words, the gold um, that's kind of like slumbering in the native and indigenous communities all around the world, and then specifically Canada, um, in context to connecting to nature and kind of the traditional way of connecting to nature.
1: So I... I've always had the philosophy of let's just get out in nature, don't worry about being the naturalist, the expert. And um, I've worked in some gorgeous First Nations communities in New Brunswick and um and some in BC and I've learned a lot. Um, I think I think there needs to be a balance and I I think we we'll, I think communities across North America are struggling with the balance. We have education thinking that we need to learn and identify and categorize. And there is huge value in that. I, um, Robert Bateman, who is a gifted artist and environmentalist from BC, spoke at a Child and Nature Alliance conference last year. And he really got me seeing that Point of view differently because I just thought, don't worry about knowing the names. But he, you know, uh, had a really good point of well, once we know the name of something, we create uh, a, a relationship with it. And an example of that is at the nature school. Um, at my nature school, there's this huge cedar tree, and every morning the kids will say hello to Mr. Cedar as they walk by it to get to their their circle. And so then, and this has been happening since day one, they say hi to, and it's huge, hi to Mr. Cedar. And my two-year-old at the time, um, he was, we were driving in the car and he would start noticing other Mr. Cedars. Oh, that must be Mr. Cedar's cousin. You know, we're driving down the road and he is identifying trees as opposed to the McDonald's sign or opposed to, you know, brand names. He is identifying trees. And which is just mind blowing to me. So there That's is, massive, yeah. right? So there is. I really love Robert Bateman's um, point of view of yes, uh, labeling something, identifying something can deepen the relationship. And yet, then there's the other hand, uh, the other side of things, the Eckard Tolle uh, view of things, where sometimes if we are stuck in our head of identification, of labeling, of categorizing, we. It can prevent us from connecting, so i I really like teachers and children to get out of that headspace of today we're going to learn and label and identify everything we see, and today we're just going to be, and this is where I think our uh, what we can learn from the first nations communities is is that is that connection and that and that being and and when we are just in nature. And allowing children to be in nature, what emerges is creativity. What emerges is consciousness and connection, empathy um, and um, curiosity. And that is all comes from a different place than the mind, than than the thinking mind of identification. So if they're climbing and rolling over, you know, a rotten log, and they start seeing these. These wood bugs and where do these come from? And they start following them. They are not thinking about anything but the 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 moment at that exact time. And that is the goal to me. When they are in the moment, they are connecting on a hey, this is a this is a living conscious thing. They're not thinking that. They are just being that. They are interacting and in the moment absorbed with the relationship that, has, that they have just created with nature. And again, they're not thinking that, they are just being that. So I think the nature school movement needs to expand further into creating this, these opportunities for educators and children to be in nature so that they can have this relationship with nature and in order for relationships to happen you need that consistency and you need um that that time and um that that routine Uh, it just can't be it just can't be a one-off but it needs that that time and space so how in our our busy lives and trying to get through curriculum how can we create these magical moments of Um, of time and space where children are are just connecting. And they're connecting from from the heart because once they have that empathy and that compassion for something that's living, whether it's a tree or even a, a dead log, which we know is not dead, it is full of life. Once they have that deep connection, then they're going to want to take care of it. Then they're going to see that it is connected to them. Whereas if we're only identifying now again identifying might be a path into that connection as well i'm not saying one needs to happen before the other i just think we need to be aware of both so that um whatever emerges from the children they are having this deep connection and so that they 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 do want to take care and in order to take care they need they need that relationship they need that time they they need that um that empathy and empathy is i think something we need to practice and we need to give time for children to, um, to grow in learning what, what it is, identifying it. Um, Yeah. I love that
0: you, I love that you mentioned the the word practice because practice is really, um, I think it's, that's what daily life is. I guess spirituality is nothing we do. It's, it's who we are and we're practicing it every day in every interaction. So that, that includes being intellectual. That includes having, having tremendous thoughts and, and innovating things. And it also includes empathy. And it also includes being with each other and being in nature. And I believe, personally, I believe, um, looking onto the, the first 30 years of my life, that it's, it is all absolutely a practice. So if I don't practice those ways of being, then they don't come as naturally to me. And I love, I love what you're sharing there.
1: Well, in in school, you know, I'm thinking of the the teachers who might be listening to this. In school, we talk about routine, and routine creates a a sense of safety for children, and it's very important, and when we take children outside, we still need to remember the importance of routine. It just can't be a free-for-all. We need to create, you know, boundaries that children know where they can be in, but what's neat about being outside in nature those routines can can turn into rituals right we we have the ritual of greeting the forest or the ritual at the end of our time with our gratitudes and our thank yous and those rituals um, are pathways for consciousness Uh, and what i would hope is that those those rituals become the foundations for children to take with them, um, and a way for them—that time and space—a way for them to explore their their soul gifts. So this is this is the this is my hidden agenda for nature schools. You know what what do we want for children? Like why do we send our children to school, right? Like what you know why why do we why do we do this? And traditionally, I think we think okay, well, a the parents need to go to work, children need to do something but we send our kids to school so that they can get more education so they can go to university they can, or, or a, a trade and get a good job and contribute to society and be happy. You know, so we have this path and we're sending our kids to school for this path, but that's not a guarantee now that you send, you, you learn this amount of information, you get trained, you get a, a job and that's happiness. Like that I think is really changing in our world, right? And school is not the only path for that to happen. So for me, I want educators and parents to think, why am I sending my kids to school? What, what do I want for the future of my children? And and for me, it's I want them to be able to create healthy relationships. I want them to be able to create community wherever they are. I want them to be able to communicate effectively and um and yes know about the world and but mine is more about i want them at a young age to start exploring their passions and exploring and and being able to really understand what their gifts are and some children it's pretty obvious what their main gift is going to be and and others have have a few but i think our role as educators and parents is to give them the time and space to explore their gifts and when you're out in nature it is it happens so much more easily than in a classroom where you have you know you you have stations set up and learning centers but it's not authentic learning space outside in nature you see the kids who are who have decided to do to make um food out of all the and and to share it. And you you notice others who are organizing everyone else. You can see as an educator, these gifts emerge. And then as a gifted educator, you can help them recognize it and foster it. So for me, it's all about helping kids explore their gifts. And nature is a really authentic way for that to happen.
0: Beautiful. I love that you mentioned the word soul gifts and, and happiness. And I want to switch it up a little bit. And I want to ask you personally, Bonnie, what does happiness mean in your own words?
1: Well, I, I'm sure my definition of happiness probably changes on a daily basis as I grow as a person. But right now, I would think to me, happiness, I, I am happy when I feel like I am in flow, when I am... Connected with my soul gifts, and I can speak for what I observe in my own children who are seven and nine right now. I observe happiness in them when they are immersed in their soul gifts, and you know, it's it's um, and I, we see it at the nature school as well, the kids. Are, are playing, but that doesn't mean they're laughing and giggling. They're often working really hard, they are in the zone and um, you know they it might be they are collaborating on building this bridge across a stream and the end product they could care less about but they have gotten everyone to lift this huge branch and found have taken an hour to find a way to transport it over to this stream and have found a way to help everybody like they are deeply immersed in learning and growing and creating relationships so for for me that that is happiness when 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 I feel deeply connected uh, to my, my purpose and in, and in flow, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I, I love that answer. Another question for you to go into the realm of infinite possibility. Bonnie, if you woke up tomorrow morning and you had a bank account balance of $13.7 billion, what would you do with it?
1: I, ha, wouldn't that be amazing? I've thought about this before, actually, and I would just want to continue what I'm doing. So I, I want to empower as many educators as possible to enjoy their teaching, to, to feel like they are on track with their purpose and their flow. So I would want to continue with my, my training on how to, how to get teachers outside, how to connect how to change your education system within the system. And I would want to just make it accessible to anyone who is, to any educator or parent who is wanting to grow in their practice all around the world. All small communities that don't have access to professional development, to growth. I would spend that money on making it accessible and making it um, available so that i could help as 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 many people who are as possible who are wanting to to help our children connect more with nature and their soul gifts to make this world a better place i know that sounds cliche but it just reaching as many using that money to to as to empower and reach as many people as possible
0: it doesn't sound cliche to me at all i think there is something so powerful in this answer of Right away going to, well, I think I would want to do the same thing I'm already doing, which means <laughs> you're authentically living who you truly are. You're not waiting for, for something that else to happen first. Um, yeah, and all, all power to you, creating and empowering this like global upliftment in, in the education ways and pathways in, in humanity. I think there's a lot of people out there that resonate and a lot of people out there that are activating into a very similar mission. Uh, Bonnie, I wanted to also hear a little bit more about music therapy. I know this is something that's that's also been part of your your life and um, part of how you teach. Where 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 does music kind of come into your life, and then where where do you feel music connects to to teaching?
1: Well, for me, music was probably um, saved my experience my school experience because it was the one thing i did well and so for for me as a child luckily my mom recognized that and i had a few teachers who recognized that and so i did feel like i had something and because school school was hard for me and you'd be surprised at how many teachers would say the same thing that there's you know there's lots of teachers and people out there who who didn't love their school experience. And that has fueled me to help change our education system because our children spend a lot of time at school, you know, a lot, a lot of time. So how can we make it more joyful? So I didn't want to be a teacher at first. So I thought let's explore music therapy. And I loved working with children with with special needs. Um, I worked lots with children with Down syndrome and for some reason, Children with Down syndrome have this direct connection to music that is just um, so beautiful. And I ended up working at a school for the hearing impaired in Vancouver with some really gifted teachers and was able to explore music and helping children learn how to speak. So that was really fascinating for me. And then um, when I started teaching, i still was using music as a way to connect with children so music therapy is really powerful because no matter what the outcome you're trying to do whether it's help someone with trauma with speech with relationships it's music is a really quick window to connection and so i used music as as in my classroom quite a bit and then i found um, this woman named dr florette sweeney who was the founder of the Living Language Institute and she's been my mentor ever since I've met her now, probably 15 years. And she's, um, you know, did her PhD in her seventies on the connection of language and music and, and community and developed this singing English program that I, that I use in my trainings quite a bit. I share every, every chance I get because music and movement is something we have done for you know, generations. We we are are we pass down traditional folk songs, generation after generation after generation, because it holds our our language really well. So the idea between behind the singing English song games that I use that promote early literacy, and it's it's that we use the songs that are in our soul already so easily, and we use that. Right now, we've got kindergarten teachers just handout after handout after handout and that's how they're teaching kids how to read and write and that's just not really natural <laughs> a way of learning if you look at children the best way they love to to learn and to be is moving. They love to move. They learn through moving. It's such a natural thing and they and they learn through music. So the combination of music and, and movement is such a natural way connection for them to learn to read and write. So that's why I'm so in, I'm I'm so in love with using song games as a way of of teaching. And then the music connection also for me was I was using it to create joy in my own life as a teacher so before students came into my classroom i would blast my favorite song and dance a bit just to get into the zone to let go of you know what baggage you know my lack of sleep or whatever i'd come to the day with to get to get into the zone of okay i'm here and present now and so I thought, wow, this is working for me. You know, will it work for our, my students as well? So then I started using music for movement breaks, um, music to help us relax and get focused. And so I just started using music all the time successfully in the class. And, and so started sharing with how to do that with other teachers. Um the main, the main thing for me is that teachers find what works for them so that they are being joyful, that they are joyfully teaching. And it doesn't mean that they are hyper and excited all day long, but they feel at peace with, with the flow of their day. And if music can help them do that and can help their, their students get in the zone, then let's do that. And we do that outside all the time. We use music in our nature classrooms all the time and whether it's gratitude circles and song, whether it's hello songs and welcoming the children and connecting them to their name, whether it's connecting to the land, we welcome in the, the, the four directions. And, um, you know, it's a song helps create ritual. It helps get us out of our head and into our heart. And yeah, yeah, I I use it. I use it all the time. and, And I just think it's really powerful and not to be forgotten.
0: Fittingly, you and I um, spent this this long weekend uh, in Hall, at Hollyhock at a workshop with one of my teachers, Philip Moore, uh, that was titled "Lines of Song" or "Song Lines" and how song lines connect through the generations and not just through the generations, but also communities. Right? And you said it like songs, if it's folk songs or traditional songs or even modern songs, they they connect communities and they connect communities quite powerfully. I I love that. Bonnie, I have one, one more question for you. And this is one of my favorite questions. I ask it all the time to people. And it's about Earth vision. And it's about this idea of sharing a collective vision for the planet. And the question to you is this. If we as humanity had a shared vision, not just for five years or 10 years, but for 50, 100, for 200 years, 200 years into the future, what kind of planet can planet Earth be? What would be your version of that? What would be your vision?
1: The first thing that comes to mind is connected communities. I think currently we are at a point where we are Desperate for change, and we're often looking outwards when, really, in our own community whether it's family, our block, our school we have so much soul work to do on our immediate creating community in our own lives. And I think my vision for the future is healthy communities where we are supporting each other's soul gifts. Where we are creating um, food forests and um, you know w- ways to connect and support each other, and within those communities, we are then connected to the greater communities. I see us evolving, and I see this happening already that we're you know we're starting to realize that you know. Our action here, if it's an authentic action, we have, no matter what that action is, it it does affect the whole world. So I see, I see, um, I would love to see a future of really solid, grounded, connected communities where everyone is supported in exploring and growing with their own soul gifts so that we can all connect um with within the within the umbrella of of one one earth one community
0: powerful vision i i like all the answers to this question because obviously there is not one right answer it's really just more about unlocking what we see what we feel what what we want and um you mentioned the word the word soul gift a couple times now in this episode and i think It's a very powerful concept to realize that souls are born with gifts. And when we dare to explore and we dare to um, just get in touch with that part of ourselves that remembers um, who we are beyond the, the individual ego perception, a lot of, a lot of miracles are waiting for us every day. Bonnie, thank you so much for taking the time and being on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Anything else you'd like to bring attention to?
1: No, I think I think you just mentioned ego, and that's something that I'm constantly reminding myself to let go of for my soul gifts to emerge. And I think that's uh, just a good a good reminder that you know when we are struggling, that that often that's what gets in the way, and and we need to to be okay with with who we are. And you, I just wanted to say you are a shining example of someone who walks the talk of embracing their soul gift. And I just, I'm really appreciate I appreciate you being in my life and um, you're really good at what you do. So thank you for inviting me on to talk today.
0: Thank you, Bonnie. The pleasure was mine.
1: All right, I'll talk to you soon.
0: hope you too enjoyed this episode of green planet blue planet podcast diving deeper and displaying what makes planet earth worth a living on and who are the creators what are the projects that create this resonance across the world if you enjoy listening to the show make sure to subscribe maybe share it with a friend or simply shoot me an email with your thoughts and ideas also make sure to check out green blueplanetcom blue i have a lot of new offerings and possibilities to work with me on there. For example, I'm hosting several retreats this year in Brazil and Canada. Also, there is an event in Costa Rica coming up. And for those of you who are looking for specifically mentorship or coaching at this point in your life, I'm currently open to taking in new applications as well as I'm starting a group container of eight people, eight people stepping into the journey of their becoming. If that's for you, Simply have a look at greenplanet-blueplanet.com, activating leadership. And wherever you are in the world right now, have yourself a stellar day.